we need to talk about inerrancy. Just a reminder, if you really read the Bible closely, you run across things. Like in Exodus chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, the Passover lamb was to be roasted, not boiled. But in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 7, it's to be boiled, not roasted. Well, the chronicler had access to these books, and in putting together the history of Israel so that they could be ready to take their history with them, their story, their identity with them, he tried to merge these two. In Second <clears throat> Chronicles chapter 35 and verse 13, and made a sentence that <clears throat> is really just impossible to translate. And so several versions have a real go at it. You know, he had a, he rushed at it, but there he did his best. Um, there are other things such as Second Samuel chapter 24, uh, when David numbered Israel, it says that God tempted him to do it. Well, the chronicler says no. Chronicler in First Chronicles chapter um, chapter 21 says it was the devil, it was Satan who tempted. Now, all my life I've heard these things explained away, but even as a child I was going, that doesn't make sense, the explanation. Later when I grew up and began to understand why people write, how they write, how God works with us, and I saw the moral arc of the universe, I'm going, yeah, I'm okay with it. Makes perfect sense to me. Uh, the, <clears throat> in Genesis 1, you know, he creates plants before he creates the sun. And the price of the threshing floor that David bought changes from Samuel to Chronicles. What are we going to do with all of this? Well, there are some of these that are copyist errors. Somebody just wrote and wrote it wrong. We all do that. That's a very human thing to do. Others were textual um, issues that we, we know and we see, but we don't feel a need to pull them out. For example, there'll be a couple times where Jesus did something and there'll be the word behold. Almost 100% that was in the margins written by a, a copyist who just went, wow. And, and eventually, <clears throat> so one of the other copyists down the line, that worked its way into the text. Is that a problem? I don't think so. There are also just plain mistakes that people make. Perhaps the most infamous was the so-called Wicked Bible of 1631. And it was just, it was just a lack of a three-letter word. The guy printed the Bible, he sold copies of it. Very difficult to buy books in 1631. You had to have some money on you, even though printing was there. And so he made uh, some good money on it. And then somebody read it. He just, he just forgot three letters. But in the list of commandments, it said, thou shalt commit adultery. That was a problem. Luckily for, um, for textual lovers everywhere, that was caught. Unlucky for him. He was ruined for the rest of his life uh, and jailed for part of it. Christians often will respond with, yes, we understand all of this, and we understand that there are issues between manuscripts, but we believe that the originals are inerrant, in other words, without any error in any way, historical, scientific, um, of course, with morality and, and, and ethics and all of that, and rivers' names and all, they're completely accurate, the originals are. 
Now, we don't have any originals, but we believe the originals are accurate. That may comfort you. It doesn't comfort me because that just removes my faith into a set of books that nobody's ever had. And I don't think that was God's intention. But you know, I don't think the concept of inerrancy as we push it was God's intention. There's a very conservative scholar, and by conservative I mean well to my right, named Millard Erickson. I'm gonna read a quote from him. He says, scripture, uh, when correctly interpreted in light of the level to which culture and the means of communication had developed at the time it was written and in view of the purposes for which it was given is truthful in all it affirms. Did you know that even the most conservative who yell the Bible is without error put all those qualifiers on it when they write books about scholarly reasons for inerrancy, that it's completely without error if it's interpreted correctly, but also in light of the limitations of the culture that received it and their ability to communicate that to any other culture such as ours. Wow. Think of, um, Copernicus and the um, idea that the earth revolved around the sun. The Bible didn't contradict that, but people reading scripture thought that it did. They thought um, Galileo was wrong. They thought uh, that, oh no, look, the Bible's so stupid. It says the sun rises. Those are not errors. Or it goes to the four corners of the earth. They, it's a flat earth. No. We still use those phrases. Just yesterday, somebody was talking about the amazing sunrise we had. Everybody in that room was educated. Everybody in that room knows that the earth goes around the sun. While I have met a a few flat earth enthusiasts, it boggles my mind. I just, and you cannot, you cannot out argue them because they have themselves thoroughly convinced. It's a great book. uh, about that, but we'll, we'll move on, shall we? The um, four corners of the earth, we all know what that means. North, south, east, west means everywhere. We understand the phraseology. So I don't consider those mistakes at all, and you shouldn't consider those mistakes at all. Making the sun stand still, we understand that that meant that he allowed the battle to, to uh, happen during daylight. And so to the people, it was an act of God that they could still finish the battle before the sun went down and people could slink away and regroup. Do I believe that the entire cosmos slammed to a halt? Well, there's something called centrifugal force that would have slung us out around somewhere around Neptune. So no, it's poetic. We use poetic language. We use imprecise language, but we get furious when another culture does it. And we want that book to be precise. You have to let the books be what they are and you have to let language be what it is. It's important to understand that when someone says the Bible is inerrant, they might mean one of a series of things. Now, this is not a political statement. It's just a cultural and I would think shared statement 
for all of us that live in the United States. Uh, a couple of presidents ago, President Bill Clinton was being questioned, um, deposed in a, in a legal situation uh, to do with his having sex with an intern. And when he was asked, is something, he said, well, that depends on the meaning of the word is. Well, of course, conservatives howled. Liberals tied themselves into knots. Fact is that the meaning of the word is, is malleable and, and it can change and it needs to be examined. If you don't believe that, you need to go get an Oxford English Dictionary and a magnifying glass because it comes in a couple of volumes, big volumes, and yet still has to be tiny. You ought to see the definition of the word the. It goes on for a while. Language is complicated, all right? You got that? Good. <clears throat> absolute inerrantist. An absolute inerrantist says that the Bible is completely true in everything it says, including historical uh, and scientific matters. Full inerrantist, that means they, you know, absolute, now we go to full, says, I, I want to get this right, the Bible is completely true even in matters of science and history, but the matters of science and history are true as they appeared to the observer, not as they appeared to a modern scientist or historian. That's a pretty good definition. Uh, it's a workable one because, for example, in Leviticus 11, <clears throat> they are told not to eat anything that um, you know, doesn't chew the could and then brings up rabbits as something that chews the could. Rabbits don't chew the could. But to them, in their society, it absolutely looked like they did. Uh, it's just that little mouth action rabbits have. God wasn't intending to be scientific. He was intending to be helpful. And as my wife will tell you, <coughs> sometimes what Mr. Science does when he comes and tries to explain something to her is not helpful. Now, she's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. She is absolutely brilliant. And that woman knows tons of things I'll never be able to figure out. We have different skill sets. But the fact is explaining something uh, precisely is not the same as being helpful. God wanted to be helpful and make the information useful. So what appears unscientific to us is not an issue. And full inerrantists say that. Um, limited inerrantists believe the Bible is free from error, but only in, matter, in matters directly related to salvation and faith. So what it says about our salvation and our faith is without error. But they're not concerned about the science and the history and the names and dates and chronologies. Then there are those, and this, is, this will be the last one. I'm just going to do four. And there are shades of meaning between them. Remember, zeros and ones, analog universe. If you don't know what that is, go back two Mondays. There are those who believe the Bible is inerrant in purpose. In other words, the Bible's purpose is to bring people into a relationship with Christ, not to communicate all truth, not to be a pristine book that we hallow, like the Muslims will uh, hallow the Quran, or the Hindus may hallow their scriptures. No, it is to bring us into a relationship with Christ, 
that is active, changing, moving with the Holy Spirit, never rooted in place or time. Therefore, the Bible doesn't have to be accurate about the other things. It just has to get us to Christ. Now, here's how this will all work in practice. Um, absolute inheritance, uh, read the first chapter of Genesis, and they say that God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence in six days, period. Literal 24-hour days. No questions, no breach of it. And the people that run the Creation Museum up in northern Kentucky, uh, right across the river from Ohio, and that do the Noah's Ark, they are absolute inerrantists. And in fact, Ken Ham will say that if you question 24-hour, six-day creation of all things in the universe, period, that there's no reason for you to even try to believe in Jesus. I mean, he just wraps it around Christ. I don't at all. Uh, I don't believe that we need to do that. But full inerrantists say that God created the universe in six days. But those days, the word day, might not mean 24-hour period, but rather distinct eras, periods of time. Limited inerrantists believe the question of the length of the days of, you know, that, that God took to create the universe is completely irrelevant. The important fact is the truth that God made everything. And whether that was in six days or six ages or 60 trillion years, it doesn't matter. It is God made everything. And then the purpose in Arantist would say the important truth of Genesis 1 is that there is a God who speaks and a God who can be known. A God that has been involved with us since the beginning and a God in whom we can trust. All of these believe the Bible is inerrant, but in a very different way. You may not have known there was more than one way, but these, at least these four schools of thought have been around since Christ. We read the church fathers, read Origen, read Clement, and you'll find different views very early on. And those did not coalesce until really the Protestant Reformation uh, and some of the fundamentalists in the late 1800s. The Roman Catholic Church has never claimed the Bible was inerrant. The Greek Orthodox Church doesn't claim it is inerrant. They claim that God is inerrant, and, and so would you, I'm sure, and so would I. And that both of them believe that you have to have the Bible plus the authority and tradition of their church, and I'm not going that direction either. Many of the Protestants in the Protestant Reformation did not consider the Bible to be inerrant, but by the time you got to John Calvin, things were beginning to shift. So just be aware that wasn't an ancient idea. You read Thomas Aquinas, or you read any of the doctors of the church, they're called, uh, early, early on theologians, and you'll find well diverse opinions on this. And if you didn't know that until now, I hope that doesn't shake your faith. It should instead say, wow, and yet God is still working through all of us. He is still present on the earth. The Holy Spirit is still active. Christ has people on the planet in these various houses of faith who are feeding the poor, visiting the prisoners, visiting those who are in, prison, um, in um, uh, poverty. They're, they're doing all these things that Matthew 25 says God will use to judge us on that last day. 
that's that's why we have wrestling matches with scripture sometimes is I don't think we understand the different ways that we're allowed to look at them. For example, um, that stopping the earth thing in, jo in Joshua 10, 11, uh, Joshua chapter 10, verse 13. Absolute inerrantists have some real problems having to describe the, um, the science there. Although when I was, grew up and I asked, I was told a God that can make the universe can stop it. Okay, now that worked when I was seven. By the time I was 17, I was already troubled, even though I parroted it, if somebody asked me. And I think that's what hurt me most. When I look back and realize I kind of, um, I kind of traded away my uh, ethics and morality because I said things that I knew just didn't seem right, but I was assured they were. Whenever I came back to faith in God and wrestled with him myself, I, I told him, I, you're I get it, you're big enough for the questions. And I've never felt closer to him, even though I have never wrestled him less than I wrestle him now. And I think that's part of the plan, all right? Um, we could, we could end. You want to go through a few more uh, of the reasons why absolute inerrantists have a real problem? Uh, well, we've, we've already talked about the women in Christ's line, you know, Rahab, and we've talked about Ezra. So how about this one? Deuteronomy 17 gives detailed rules about the monarchy 200 years before Israel had one. And when in Deuteronomy 17, it is said that God's giving them these rules. But later, when they want a king, he says that was not his plan and doesn't want them to have one. How do, we, how do you deal with that? Actually, I've, read, I've read their books on it, and it works about as well as, well, if God can make the universe, he can slam it shut and then restart it. Were the animals of, of uh, Egypt destroyed twice? In Exodus 9, they are. They're destroyed in, in verse 6, and then they're destroyed again in verse 25. Was Jesus right after his baptism? Um, did he go right into the wilderness for 40 days or was he at his home in Bethany and then beside the sea and then at a wedding? Look at the gospels, Mark one, John one um, and John chapter two and you'll see that they put him in different places right after the baptism. I don't care, uh, memories are memories, I get that. I, I just wanna hear the stories and I believe the stories. The order they're in is just, it was not a big concern for the Jews either. That's, it's just not the Semitic way of doing things. Uh, I recently was taking a look at Mandarin thinking, you know, at my age, I'd really like to understand a completely non-Indo-European language. And gotta admit, I think this one's gonna be past me, gonna be beyond me, because it doesn't translate, and English doesn't translate well into Chinese. And it's, a, I don't know how you bridge that gap, but understand that that's in scripture too. Did God commission a lie in order to kill Ahab? First Kings 22, 19 through 23. Um, we have, um, we have Ezekiel, I'll do this one. Ezekiel 20, verses 25 and 26. The Bible says God gave Israel bad laws and he, 
he cites Exodus 22, 29 as an example. By the way, the NIV purposefully mistranslates this. And I like the NIV, but they make some really bad decisions, and this is one of them. Instead, it's changing it to gave them, but rather instead of gave them over to, it just absolutely is a bad mistranslation. We can talk more, and we will, but not today. You've had enough, haven't you? Well, we love you. Please subscribe. Um, please click the like, and that helps us a lot. And if you can tune in on Sundays and check in and let us see where you're coming from, we've had viewers from 49 states, nobody from North Dakota yet, so make a call to your friends up there. Uh, 21 nations, I think it is now, uh, and it is just amazing. We are so grateful to you and so grateful to God. Have a wonderful week. We got one more of these coming up next week.